Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources with Boyd Matheson on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. This is Inside Sources. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on a Monday. Uh, great conversation just wrapped up with Doug Wilkes from the Deseret News, and we're going to continue to bring in a, a wide range of guests uh, to really cover all the angles and topics uh, as we roll through the day today. Uh, if you're just joining us, uh, we have thrown down the uh, the gauntlet in a 21-day challenge of leadership. And we are asking President Trump to appoint Vice President Pence, Nancy Pelosi, Kevin McCarthy, two leaders, Democrat and Republican from the House, Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer, leadership of the Democrats and the Republicans in the Senate, and give them, as the leaders, sole responsibility Take 21 days and come back with serious solutions that can be voted on, signed into law, and move forward in the country. We can't have a bunch of junior senators and junior members of the House on some blue ribbon panel or gang of eight uh, that's never going to get a vote because the leadership won't allow it. And so it's time for leadership to be accountable and step up. And while they're doing that, we need to have conversations about the mental health compo- component uh, of all of this. Uh, very pleased to be joined uh, by our good friend Jenny Howe, uh, who is our go-to person when it comes to mental health, especially with our young people. Jenny, thanks for joining us on a Monday. Thanks so much for having me. Unfortunately, we're we're talking about this topic again, but I'm happy to be able to create this conversation with you today. All right. And uh, as, as you lo- look at this, as you, uh, first let me get your, just your your visceral response as you watch this play out over the weekend, uh, as you hear about these kinds of shooting, that's again, it's usually a young person. It's usually a young man. Uh, what are the things that start running through your mind as you see those things play out? So many different variables. I think oftentimes when we hear something like this happening in my own digital reaction is fear uh, you know, oh my gosh, when are we going to see the next one or when are these going to end? Just like anybody else who's experiencing the news firsthand. But from the background I've had, and I've spent a lot of time assessing safety in schools, assessing risk um, for these types of events happening with our young people, I just know that it's never one factor that's contributing to the end result that we see on the news. And so I'm always interested in hearing about it and trying to learn more about ways that we could have prevented this from happening rather than just focusing on the fear and the outcome. Oh, that's that's so good. And and it is always that multi-pronged issue that generally, Mm -hmm. you know, usually leads to this kind of uh, outburst at the end. Uh, what yeah. walk us through some of the the warning signs? You know, sometimes we say, "Oh, there were all these red flags," but often, uh, either as parents or as as neighbors or friends, we we don't see the red flags. 
No. In fact, I have to say something kind of interesting. We had a shooting, as you know, a couple of weeks ago or a week ago in Gilroy, California. And I have a large population of clients there. And this particular incident, I had a, a client who lived a block away from the shooter um, in that particular incident. And the first thing she said to me was, I had no idea, no idea, no idea this was so close to me. And so talking about red flags, um, it's really, really important here to separate the conversation about mental health and aggressive acts because they are not directly correlated. And I think that that can enhance sometimes the stigma that people feel when they do have a mental illness. You know, they don't want people to know because they don't want them to think they're aggressive people. Right. And so it's really important to separate that discussion. Oh, let, let me, can, um, I, can so, I stop you there for just a second, Jenny, because I, please. Uh, yeah. this is such an important point. I want all of our listeners to, to just take that in a little bit because Often the politicians and and even the media coverage, uh, you can make this sweeping generality of mental health, Mm -hmm. which doesn't help mental health because then, as you said, it creates even more of a stigma of, well, now I don't want to, I don't want to share anything because now they're going to think, you know, I'm going to be capable of of this kind of heinous act uh, when really I'm, I'm just alone and scared and, and suffering uh, and so, again, Jenny, it's such an important point to separate those things out in terms of acting out uh, versus just experience some anxiety or anger, depression. Correct. Correct. It, it, it breaks my heart when I hear people talk about the mental health and only the mental health in regard to these acts, because obviously mental health is an issue, but mental health disorders, any type of diagnosis in that field doesn't necessarily mean you are going to be an aggressive person or want to act out in an aggressive way. Um, That's a very distinct set of characteristics diagnostically when we're going through the red flags that you're discussing. Um, There are a couple of things, and to be honest with you, Boyd, we can even separate a few red flags down to the age of five. There are some assessments and some tools that we can use to kind of assess um, underlining psychopathy, even in children. And uh, one of the two of the biggest factors are a sense of callousness, um, which is a sense of disregard for other people that are unlike themselves, just kind of a, a low level of empathy. And interestingly enough, research is telling us over the last eight or ten years that even young children who show a sense of callousness, if they also show anxiety, which is, we know, the mental health condition, that's actually a protective factor. That means that they have an inclination to empathy because you can't have fear without empathy. And so when we talk about risk in mental health, it's really important to focus on looking backwards, I guess, trying to prevent these things, the callousness, the acting out behaviors, not necessarily the internal or the mental health behaviors. Um, So I look for patterns of uh, conduct type of behaviors. So stealing, um, aggression towards other family members or children, aggression towards animals, um, a proclivity to be able to kind of Um, find themselves in a lot of risky types of behaviors, impulsive types of behaviors. But again, those things, even in isolation, doesn't necessarily directly connect to somebody being predisposed to commit an act like this. Um, But when I am trying to delineate that, acts of aggression in someone's history or at least a desire to act aggressively, whether that's noted on social media or whether that's, you know, mentioned 
to friends, things like that. Um, that is the biggest risk factor here. And I think if you go backwards and look at a lot of these shootings, and again, this is me kind of armchair quarterbacking this, you will see that there are a lot of um, a lot of people that have had a history of either talking about a desire to act aggressively or a historical record of that. Mm. Okay, great, great insight. Uh, if you just join us, we have Jenny Howe on the line, and uh, Jenny is a, one of our go-to people. Uh, just love her perspective in terms of mental health, and uh, and so Jenny, we've got just a couple minutes left, and and I want to mm-hmm. I want to pivot to the positive side a little bit uh, and look at what yeah. are some of the things that we can do. Uh, again, we we know that most of these individuals who carry out these kind of acts usually have some kind of trigger event or they were bullied or there was a, a, just a, you know, a, a big event, a loss, a loss of a job, an embarrassing moment, whatever it may be. Uh, but what do we do to help people have the skills uh, to actually deal with all of these challenges uh, so that we're not having to look in the rearview mirror and assess these things? No, that's a, that's a really great question, and I wish I had just one solid answer for you. I have a few ideas that I'd like to just kind of throw out there. One is really understanding that a triggering event doesn't necessarily mean, again, that somebody's going to act aggressively. It may be that that person is wired to, to respond in that way. And so a lot of times um, people are very secretive about these desires because obviously they're not mainstream. <laughs> People don't talk about these to other people. So when you notice that somebody is going through something that's really hard, if somebody is isolating, isolation is a huge key. Somebody's really isolating from the world for hours on end. You rarely see them leave the confines of their computer screen or their basement. Um, that is a huge sign. I think that we can reach out to other people. We can ask if they're okay. We can go sit with them. We can model um connection and create connection with anybody, even if it makes us feel uncomfortable or awkward. So the isolation that people feel um, after a triggering event, like you're mentioning, is is a huge warning sign for us that we can respond to. Okay, fantastic. Uh, Jenny, I wish we had about seven more hours to (laughs) break it all down, but we will have you back. We always appreciate your insight and a lot of great things to watch for and a lot of very simple things that we all can do to help someone who might be struggling. Jenny, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Bye-bye. All right, again, that's uh, Jenny Howe. Uh, When we come back, uh, we're going to continue. Now we're going to go from the mental health components uh, that are so big and so broad. We're going to talk about some really specifics with Representative Brian King uh, from the Utah State Legislature on red flag laws. Stay with us. This is Boyd Matheson. I am the opinion editor of the Deseret News. Thanks for joining us on KSL News Radio's Inside Sources. We'll be right back. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts.